This is Talk of the Sound. I'm your host, Robert Cox. Today is June 23rd, 2020. In this episode of the Talk of the Sound podcast, I will talk with Bob Marone of Radio Westchester about school elections, the idea of renaming public schools, removing the Christopher Columbus statue from Hudson Park, too many fireworks, the New Rochelle City Council asking Governor Cuomo to appoint the Attorney General to investigate the Kamal Flowers shooting by the New Rochelle Police Department, and various Talk of the Sound Twitter polls. Get it on! Good morning, Robert. How are you? Good morning. It's good to hear your voice. A lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Bob, I was surprised by the outcome um, of the school budget vote. What happened in your uh, in your uh, take? Uh, well, I was surprised, too. Obviously, I was working hard to try to educate voters on the problems in the district, but uh, I think it's fair to say the voters have spoken and they are supporting the direction the district is going in. I think that's going to end up being a mistake, um, but, uh, you know, time will tell and we'll see what happens now that uh, uh, the, the district has basically been confirmed uh, in the direction they've chosen to take in us. You know, Bob, I I have my own opinion, which I want to share with you and and get your reaction to. I get the sense, and this is not to be just critical of the direction that the school is going into. I just think that during COVID, uh, I'm not sure that people are really looking at the issues, care enough about the issues, and that, in fact, I give credit to people who are activists right now because activists, this is their priority, this is what they do. And, you know, while everybody, I wouldn't say is asleep, but their direction is, 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 or attention is directed elsewhere, um, they're winning the day. What's your reaction to that? Well, uh, we don't have exit poll data, so we don't really know why people voted the way they voted. We don't know anything about who actually voted. Uh, so it's really difficult to say. Um, but, uh, certainly if people were really upset with the direction of the district, then, you know, they would turn out and vote. Um, you know, they're, I mean, this is, this is basically the world we're living in. Um, you know, I do think there's some questions about how the vote, the election was run. It was clearly very poorly run. A lot of people had problems getting their ballots. Uh, a lot of misinformation that came from the district, from the superintendent about what was happening with those ballots. And, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, those are all problems. Uh, I don't know if it explains anything because we don't really know enough, but I have made a request to get the information about how many ballots were not actually canvassed uh, and for whatever reason, either they arrived after the deadline or that they were spoiled in some way or there was some other factor that caused them to be not counted. But, um, you know, given what we know now, um, the voters have spoken and you know, they're happy to continue funding the direction of the school district. And, you know, we'll see where that takes us. I, I guess we will. Now, there were some changes to the school board as well. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so there was, uh, well, first of all, the incumbent, uh, Chris Daniello, who was actually serving out the last couple of years of um, uh, a, another school board member, Natalie Atala, who quit uh, back in uh, January 2018, um, and that was shortly after the uh, Valerie Schwab murder. Um, so he, he's out as of July 1. And uh, we, Leanne Merchant had also decided not to run, so she's going to be gone as well. And then the replacement board members will be uh, 
uh, Katie um, uh, Manaya Castellanos and uh, Dina Barrios Brooks. Uh, both of them had the support of Indivisible Westchester. And, uh, you know, it'd be uh, curious to see what direction adding those two people to the school board takes us. Um, really, we have four people from Indivisible Westchester because the board president, um, uh, Amy Moselli, and then re- someone who was elected last year, uh, Valerie Williams, both had the support of Indivisible Westchester when they ran. So, um, you know, it's uh, I'll, I'll expand on that to say we now have four Indivisible Westchester people on the school board. We now have three. And it's four out of nine, for those of you who don't know. And three of the seven uh, city council members are indivisible Westchester people. So um, they are, you know, having a lot of say, if not controlling what's happening in both our city and our school district. And, um, you know, as I told a few people, I guess we're living in a Damon Marr world. Uh, that's probably a good way to put it. But I, I, I almost feel that it, it, it betrusses my point that, Right now, the day seems to belong to activists, and particularly here, at least in this part of Westchester County. Uh, apropos of this discussion, activism, the issue of renaming public schools, and I link it to your other point. Uh, uh, one sense is that they want to change the name of Columbus School. What do you know about this effort, and how successful do you think it will be? Well, there is no effort. I mean, I just threw it out there as a question because it's something that's in the zeitgeist these days, which is you have schools in New Rochelle that are named after Thomas Jefferson and uh, uh, um, Christopher Columbus and, uh, and people like that. And, um, you know, it just occurred to me that I, I throw the idea out there that maybe we should have a committee uh, from the school district with certain criteria um, to reconsider uh, names, uh, you know, for the uh, for the schools that we have in the district, I wasn't really looking at it as a way to to get rid of, you know, people that may be currently out of favor, like Thomas Jefferson or Christopher Columbus. I was more thinking that um, the school names are something that becomes part of news coverage. It becomes part of um, state records and. Uh, it gets out on the internet and, you know, New Rochelle has no particular connection to Daniel Webster or Thomas Jefferson. Webster is a senator from New Hampshire and Massachusetts. Uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson's from Virginia. Christopher Columbus is from Spain, Italy, the Caribbean, wherever you want to say. You know, um, and then more to the point, I mean, who the hell cares about George Davis, Isaac Young, Albert Leonard, uh, William Ward, uh, and then some of the schools like the high school and, and Trinity don't really have names. Trinity's really named after the street it used to be on. So it seemed to me that just from a marketing perspective, we have all these interesting people that are from New Rochelle. Either they, they're born here and raised here uh, or people who came here at sort of the height of their fame and influence. Um, so I wanted to look at um, you know people like that, uh, and I, I went to the Wikipedia list of you know, well-known New Rochelle people and picked a, a few off the list and, and asked other people to to chime in with their ideas. Um, but what I found amazing was the, the rather animated response from people. I mean, that article and that Facebook discussion lit up. Thousands of people weighed in on that uh, or read it or whatever. And, you know, I had to wonder, you know, what exactly are you so upset about? I mean, 
the idea that, uh, you know, Isaac Young would somehow lose a school or George Davis. I mean, does anybody really care about any of those people? And, you know, why do we have a school named after Thomas Jefferson? I mean, we had famous founding fathers from New York, if that's what we were looking for. Um, so I just think that um, yeah, I just wanted to throw it out there uh, because it's, you know, in the in the wind right now. Um, yeah. But I would say that the, the, the passion of the response was quite, you know, striking. It was amazing. People got really riled up about it. And, uh, you know, they portrayed it as a rewriting of history, to which I asked, well, how would it be rewriting history uh, to, to take a school that, like New Rochelle High School, that currently doesn't have a name and give it a name? As people pointed out, it, it used to have a name, which was Woodrow Wilson High School, which, forget about the fact that he's, you know, a racist, um, but, uh, you know, he was from New Jersey. So, <laughs> I mean, why would we name a high school <laughs> In New Rochelle, about a guy from New Jersey, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. And certainly history is not being rewritten by changing the name of Trinity School. Um, I just think it's, it's worth taking a look. I, I, I had two criteria that, you know, they had to have some substantive uh, connection to New Rochelle. And they had to be somebody who was considered a leader in their field on a, let's say, on a national basis, you know, that did something, you know, kind of significant, you know. Um, I... I think maybe we could add one criteria, which is that they have to be dead. You know, that might be a good idea because, you know, then they can't embarrass you later after you name the school for them. Um, you know, that, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, I, I just thought it was worth throwing out there as a discussion. A lot of people complained and accused me of, uh, you know, stirring the pot and causing controversy, which, you know, I mean, I look at that and think, have you read Not my you. site? I've been do I've been doing this for a long time. So <laughs> I was, <laughs> you know, you know well, that's like the the old story of the scorpion and the frog. You know, <laughs> I don't understand why, why. Why did you sing me? It's in my nature, and well, the nature, of course, is Bob Cox, the managing editor and publisher of Talk of the Sound, considered the source since 2008. This is Radio Westchester. You're listening to an hour with Bob Cox. Bob, listening to you, and, and, and if people don't understand what you're doing, I love food for, for thought, things like that. Uh, however, one, one reaction I do have is I think a lot of people, in fact, it's interesting, had you done this before the election, the election might have been different. Because I think people are reacting to the extremes of that, not realizing that you're just putting it out there. But there are a lot of people that feel, and quite frankly, I among them, yeah, of course, Thomas Jefferson and, and, and Washington um, were, in effect, racists in their day. But we need to be very careful about about that because the whole the Catholic Church and just about every major religion in every major country is guilty of atrocities, and we can't wipe out the context of the day. We have no one to praise. But, but again, that's just how some people feel, and I think they're reacting to that more broadly rather than what you were suggesting. Well, yeah, no, I, I think that that's true. I just would say, and, and I think that, you know, the other... Uh, by the way, so I, I generate a lot of ideas. I'm sort of an expansive thinker in that way. And uh, I will tell you that over the last 12 years of doing this here in New Rochelle, you know, plenty of the ideas that I've thrown out there ended up being adopted. So I, I could very much I could very much see uh, there being support for the idea. Um, my only concern would be that the people who'd probably be involved would try to take it in a whole different direction. But my idea is is that we should 
identify people with a substantive connection to Rochelle who accomplished something really significant, uh, and we should basically market that about our history uh, and, and promote those people and, and uh, you know, help people outside this community understand about the history of New Rochelle, whether it's Thomas Paine or whether it's uh, Lee Archer, who, you know, was a Tuskegee Airman with 169 combat missions, whether it's, uh, you know, but it just, there's a lot of people, and I'm, I'm sure other people could think mm-hmm. of even more uh, that would be good candidates, but quite frankly, I mean, George Davis was president of the school board back in, you know, 1933, and uh, Isaac Young and Albert Leonard were the first two school superintendents 100 years ago. And, I mean, who cares about them? I mean, seriously, I mean, that means nothing to, to anybody. And I would rather see us name these schools after people who have real residence for the community, resonance for the community, and not because the board at the time the building was built decided to do a favor to some superintendent or some board member. I just don't think that's a good criteria. Well, let's move on to the other issue, which is the, the prospect uh, of removing the Columbus statue from Hudson Park. Well, I don't know if there's any prospects to it, but I asked that question. Uh, well, yeah. I've been doing a bunch of surveys and again, that generated a huge amount of response. I would say that uh, in social media, on Facebook, uh, I couldn't help but notice that most of the people who were upset with me for even raising the subject happened to have what seemed to be Italian last name. So I'm going to take it that it kind of skews one way in terms of how you feel uh, feel about it. Um, but uh, there was a lot of support uh, for getting rid of it. Uh, but there was deep passion uh, for not getting rid of it. So, uh, you know, I ask you, Bob, you have an Italian heritage. Uh, what do you think? Well, that's a fair question. I don't have a reaction to – I never really made the – I mean, I knew he was Italian, but really a Spaniard who sailed for the Queen of Spain. Um, I have a problem with it in general uh, because of my uh, love of history. And I think the more you read, the more you know about history, it's pretty hard not to indict many organizations and countries. And that's why I only brought up the Catholic Church, because I am a Catholic. And they did horrendous things. They, they pursued the, the Inquisition. They pursued the, uh, the Crusades. So why don't we just ban every Catholic Church? I think one has to be very, very careful to understand the history of the time or we'll go nowhere. Everyone enslaved people, all of the the major countries of the world, all the colonialists, uh, ensla- I wouldn't say enslaved, but subordinated people, and some great countries did some horrible things. Um, do we eradicate history? So how do I feel about it? And it has nothing to do with my being an Italian. I'm, I'm not very ethnic that way. Uh, I would not take down that statue because the guy discovered America, for good or bad. And he well, actually, uh, he didn't discover well, America. No, no, <laughs> I, I understand that, but but I, I do know that, and I know I know I know all the details. But generally speaking, he did he discover did, Cuba. He, yes, he discovered the. Uh, I was just going to say, rea- the but, in, but in reality, he, never, he didn't. He didn't really discover anything because people were already there. But nonetheless, he's the man that got credit for it. I. I he got credit I for have, it by the, by, by the Europeans because the yes, Spaniards yes. came in and colonized those places and yes. took them over and killed everybody, but he didn't and really yes. discover it. 
So should we ban Spain as well? Here's my point. I think that when one starts looking at the details of history, depending on what was in vogue at the time, we wind up we wind up not not really appreciating history at all. You know, where do we stop? You know, we, we, well, but, we, but, 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 but nobody's saying that uh, we should uh, burn books. I said, you know, that, that in the case of, of, of that particular statue, understand something. It was put up there 19 years ago by Dominic Procopio as an homage to himself and his friends at Casa Calabria. With yes. a, with a, with a, a, a skull, a, a kind of I think pretty poorly executed uh, sculpture of Christopher Columbus on the top, and if Castle Columbia wants to honor its members, it doesn't need to occur at a public park. Okay, they can they have that, their that own property. That is let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Uh, how many how many how many statues of people like that do we actually have in New Rochelle? Well, I think of Thomas Paine, and then I'm done. Well, we have a bust of him, so you can include the the head if you want to. Well, but yeah. <laughs> the only full the, – the statues that we have are, are Christopher Columbus, uh, Jacob Leisler, which is up by Paine and not far from the Paine bust, and then we have uh, Leif Erikson, okay? And I looked at I looked into that statue. So that was put up a number of years ago by the sons and daughters of Norway. And I got to tell you, I don't know a lot of Norwegians living in New Rochelle. I don't have any idea why we have a Leif Erikson Park or why we have a Leif Erikson statue. Um, but we've chosen to, you know, put in public display Leif Erikson, Christopher Columbus, Jacob Leisler as, as full-blown statues. And I think it's an odd <laughs> collection of choices. Well, I think well, it's you know what? worth re- one of the, one of the things that I appreciate about you, Robert, that others may not, is you're not necessarily advocating for one way or another. You're simply compelling people to think, and that's one of the things I I, I care about about you. Now, I'm going to give you another example that just to, to throw the fire uh, a little more gasoline. Uh, I'm I, I, as you know, I love history very much, and I know a lot about it. The two cases in point, and, and I've always said that Robert E. Lee was a traitor, but he was a very gracious traitor, and he was a very interesting and successful man. The differences between Robert E. Lee and Nathan Bedford Forrest show where a line can be drawn in, in such issues. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Nathan Bedford Forrest. He, was, he did not go to work. Okay, then you know, but most people will not. He was a Confederate general who really was was self-trained. He did not go to West Point, but he had a great gift for cavalry warfare and for pursuit of an enemy. But he also was the first uh, Imperial Wizard of the KKK. And whenever he captured black troops and the most, if anyone wants to look it up, they can go to Fort Pillow on on uh, on uh, on Google. He would have black people drop to their knees and shoot them in the back of the head. The fact that anywhere in the South there was a statue, a dorm, and there are, a statue, a dorm, a school, how disgraceful is that? Now, if the people of the South, even though he was a traitor, want in some way to acknowledge that Robert E. Lee, in in his time, was caught with the conundrum, do I fight for my state 
or do I fight for the country? In those days, many people thought they were citizens of the state. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to defend keeping the statues up. I'm simply saying that people just don't never look at these details and don't understand the great distinction between these two men. And we don't do that at all. And that's why it's such a slippery slope. Now, having said that, I totally get your point. Why have any of these statues? Why have Leif Erickson? Who cares? Well, now you get into the whole ethnicity. And, and once again, you're pressing a button of mine. I don't know if you realize in the 15 years I've been on the air up here in Westchester, I have never covered an ethnic parade, and I wouldn't do it. Uh, because I, that kind of separation troubles me. But having said that, uh, your point is well taken. Why not? But again, a lot of people, given the zeitgeist today, are going to assume that you're taking a position on the conversation of statues, which, which really you're not. You're just reopening it up. You're thinking outside the box. At least that's my view. Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always interested in understanding why things today are the way that they are. Um, I always recommend to people if they want to understand this area where they live, um, there's two books they should read, Gotham and The Power Broker. Uh, there's probably others, but if you can just read those two books, and they're very long, you will understand a lot about why we have uh, the roads and the bridges and the different government agencies that we have. A lot of people, I believe, don't really think about why things are the way they are, and therefore they don't have any context for, uh, you know, making, uh, you know, decisions. And they end up, um, you know, I think my view, you know, kind of uh, sounding kind of foolish sometimes. I just would like to see, uh, you know, more thought. I, I'm going to give you uh, my favorite quote, which is so often uh, misquoted or bastardized, but it's George Santayana, who was uh, a philosopher, Spanish origin, but, you know, from the U.S. And, um, you know, you'll know part of it uh, it's from a book he wrote called The Life of Reason, uh, but it, it goes like this. Uh, and I, I'm just going to tell you the punchline first, right? So Please do. People, people know this as those who forget the lessons of history are doomed to repeat it. Doomed to repeat okay? it. But that's not actually the correct statement, okay, uh, or the context of the statement. What he said was actually progress far from consisting in change depends on retentiveness. When change is absolute, there remains no being to improve and no direction is set for possible improvement. And when experience is not retained, as among savages, infancy is perpetual. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So his point is, is that you have to understand where you came from. You have to understand why things are the way they are. You have to yes. retain, an, retain an understanding of whether it's your culture, your society, your nation, whatever it is. And if you don't understand that, you're basically trying to build a foundation on quicksand and you're going to end up making the same mistakes over and over again. So it's um, certainly the case that it's important to know and understand history, to understand why things the way they are. However, that's not the same thing as just saying, well, whatever statue is in place today since it was there today and yesterday and the day before, it's therefore historical or iconic or important. And it doesn't matter what it stands for or why it was put there or anything like that. And that's also wrong because you have to look at things like 
why did these statues go up when they went up? Who put them up? Why did they put them up? Okay, so you want to look at the most glaring example is Stone Mountain, Georgia. Okay, this is a massive carving originally started by the same guy who did Mount Rushmore. It was financed by the KKK. The choice of location was because that location was considered a spiritual home or center for the KKK. The first ever cross burning and clavern that they had or whatever it is, was at Stone Mountain, Georgia, and they wanted to depict the Confederacy and that included Robert E. Lee, but it included Nathan Bedford Forrest, and it was all about white supremacy. It was all about the KKK, okay? And that's why Martin Luther King mentioned it in his I Have a Dream speech, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. Uh, it's not by coincidence, right? It is the heart and substance of uh, the KKK racist ideology in the United States, all right? Now, what people need to understand is the KKK that you're talking about, uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest was the founder, basically, um, yeah. and it all but disappeared, okay? So you're talking 1865 period to 1880s, Reconstruction, da, 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 all that kind of stuff, okay? It had basically died out. It revived. There was a second wave of the KKK, all right? It came about because of one a person, D.W. Griffith, made a movie based on a book, Birth of a Nation, which glorified the KKK. If anybody's ever seen it, I imagine you'd probably be, and you haven't seen it before, you'd probably be shocked. The, oh, KKK, the KKK are the heroes, right? And the, the bad guys are any uh, people who are black, but also anybody who helps anybody who's black. So northerners or other people who are sympathetic to blacks. Are, they're all the bad guys, and, and the blacks and their friends basically rape and pillage and destroy, and it's the KKK who rides to the rescue and saves everybody. So this movie, right, um, was actually the first movie that was ever uh, played at the White House uh, under Woodrow Wilson. Uh, the uh, They built a movie theater, and this was the first thing that was shown there. Uh, Woodrow Wilson was a good friend of the author of the book. He loved the movie, praised it, became a huge hit. And so after 1915, when that movie came out, you saw this second wave of the KKK that went on through the teens and into the 20s. And it wasn't just in the South. It was spread all over uh, the United States. So it was in New Jersey. It was in New York. It was everywhere. Indiana. I mean, it was everywhere. An entire state you know, was was predicated Oregon on the white supremacist philosophy that there was no blacks even allowed in Oregon. Okay. So it, it spread all over the place. And um, uh, so then you, you have to look at what statues were put up in response to that and that whole notion of white supremacy. And obviously Stone Mountain, Georgia was one, but so was Mount Rushmore. So was Mount Rushmore. Okay. That was about asserting the supremacy of white people. Uh, and, and the guy who did Mount Rushmore, Sorghum, right, uh, was the, the sculptor, had actually started Stone Mountain. He was hired by the KKK. He began work on it, uh, had a falling out over money, and then said, screw it, I got this better offer to go up to South Dakota, and he did Mount Rushmore. His brother also worked uh, on Stone Mountain, Georgia, and worked closely with uh, his brother. Uh, 
And, and during that period of time, uh, he was hired by the New Rochelle Historical Society to build the statue of Jacob Leisler. And so why was that statue put up there? It wasn't put up there because the city wanted to honor this guy from 400 years earlier who had been the governor of the, basically New York when it was an island. Okay. It, why, why did they do it? What were they trying to accomplish? I would argue that it was part of the same kind of KKK white supremacy idea, um, glorifying these people. Uh, and, and the fact is that Jacob Leiser was a noted anti-Catholic bigot. Uh, and the people who, uh, supported putting that up and paid for it were the Huguenots, which are the Protestants. And there's definitely a political statement to that. Um, I don't have any idea why we put up a Leif Erikson statue. I'd love to learn about that. And then the Columbus statue is strictly a Dominic Procopio self-aggrandizement production put up 19 years ago. So we had a place to go every year to take pictures on Columbus Day. Um, those are my thoughts about these things. I'm happy to hear what everybody else has to say. But um, I think you have to think about why the people who raised the money to do this and to hire sculptors and who they hired and what plaques are on there and the whole environment that it occurred in, you know, needs to be looked at. And you can't just say, well, it's uh, historic, uh, it's iconic, uh, it's always been there. That's not a criteria. There you go. So there's my rant. You know, your your rant, what I appreciate most about it is this kind of history. When I talk about history, I don't mean in the, in the, in the classic sense, but the details of how these things occurred, which is something that, that at least I care a great deal about. And the issue is most people are never going to go there. They're never going to read what you've read. A quick reminder, listeners can subscribe to the Talk of the Sound podcast on all the major podcast services and follow Talk of the Sound on Twitter or Facebook or on our website at talkofthesound.com where you can bookmark our homepage or register to get our daily email blast. I want to move on to a couple of other issues. Uh, so much uh, and so little time, but we're making the time. Fireworks. Why did you put them on your list today? Well, I have experienced it myself, but a lot of people around the city have been complaining about the inordinate number of fireworks that have been getting set off, especially on the weekends. But yep. they've been going off from, you know, about the time it gets dark until sometimes two, three, four in the morning. Um, and so uh, I decided to take a look into it. The first thing I did was uh, I, I wrote to the city manager Saturday morning. I said, you know, what's the deal with this? You know, are, are you getting more complaints or, you know, is it just is it just my neighborhood? You know, I didn't really know. And um, so uh, I didn't hear back. Uh, it was Saturday, so I didn't hear back right away. So I decided just to post it on Facebook and say, is anybody else, you know, noticing this? Like, what's the deal with the fireworks? Well, that that post on Facebook lit up with people saying, yeah, over here, over here, over here. And um, then it was pointed out to me by one commenter that, you know, this is actually happening all over the country. So I did a Google search and sure enough, Boston, Baltimore, Hartford, you know, everywhere. It's a problem. Uh, and then of course the question was, well, why? What, what, because the numbers are huge. Like New York City reported an 80 fold increase in firework complaints. Here in New Rochelle, we had about a 430% increase just this past weekend to a year ago. Oh, uh, Bob, you uh, can add my voice to that. Over in the West End, uh, it, it, every single night there are fireworks. Can't figure out why. 
Yeah, so there's been various theories. I have no idea, but uh, one uh, police chief in Allentown, Pennsylvania, said, you know, uh, increased legalization of fireworks so they're easier to get. People pent up because of coronavirus. Uh, the, the fact that there wasn't celebrations like high school and cal- college uh, graduation ceremonies. Um, you know, we had Juneteenth last weekend. Um, you know, uh, I mean, but I don't really know. I mean, I, I just, but it is noticeable and it's not just your neighborhood and not just my neighborhood. It's all over the country. Um, and people are, you know, some people are like, well, what's the big deal? They're fireworks. They're fun. Then I got other people coming in saying, my dog is terrified. We can't walk at night. We can't do this. Really? We can't do yeah. That. Yeah. A lot of people, com- people complaining about their pets and, um, Obviously, there's issues where fires can start. People can get their fingers blown off and and all the rest of it. But we know the problem, right, which is you call in to say, hey, these fireworks went off. By the time the cops show up, those people are long gone. So, you know, what are you going to really do, right? The one thing I would say, and uh, one reader made this point, you know, some of these fireworks, these are not people just throwing off, lighting off firecrackers like I did when I was a kid. Some of these are full-blown displays yeah. Uh, that go, that go on for a little while. And I'm just thinking, who's paying for all this? Because they're not that cheap. So somebody is putting a lot of money behind, you know, their individual. I, I don't think there's some kind of like, you know, concerted, uh, organized effort to do this. I just think people are dumping a lot of money into these fireworks. And, uh, it's surprising. One, one person suggested that this may even make sense that because all the fireworks displays were canceled around the country, that, um, uh, they become cheaper to buy, and that also, you know, might explain some of it as well. But if, it's it's pretty startling. If I if I may, uh, for someone who grew up in Brooklyn and, and some of the inner cities, fireworks are so much more prevalent there than uh, here in New Rochelle to an extraordinary uh, multiple. Uh, some people are not going to like this, but I need to go on record. I consider fireworks one of the dumbest things that people spend a lot of money on that you could possibly do. I mean, this is, I know this is elitist, but buy a freaking book. Uh, you can blow off your hands. Gee, sparks, fire. I know people like them, and it's wrong of me maybe to judge it, but I just think they're dumb. But having said that, I think you touched on it earlier, at least that police chief did. They're now, you see them in stores, and sometimes it's just sparklers and this or that. But, A, there's much less policing of it. They're much more available, and a lot of people like them. But you should see what goes on. If you, there are places in Brooklyn, in, um, uh, for example, Diker Heights, where you just can't, and that's a very exclusive area, but the, the, the zeitgeist there is every corner is a, is a you know, is, is a display. It's just an, just an interesting part of the American psyche. I'm never going to get my head around it. I, I just find fireworks to be use, not useless. You know, you want to go to the Macy's Day Parade, you know, like a fish looking at a lure, go ahead. Or the Macy's Day, whatever, the fireworks. It's just not something I care much about. But pedestrians, everyday people playing with fireworks, you're asking to lose a hand. That's my own little rant on that. But that's very fascinating. I, I don't know that we know the answer. I want to move on. Uh, I'm sorry that I reacted. I care more about your your uh, comments on this show, but it just really got me going. Well, I, I, while you were talking, I did just check. I pulled up an article online. So I'm just looking at states that permit sale of all or most types of fireworks um, and looking around, you know, it's, it's places down south, Alabama, Georgia, it, whatever. 
Uh, I'm just looking through the list here, New Hampshire and Pennsylvania. So, uh, yeah, if I had to guess, the ones in our area are probably coming out of mostly out of Pennsylvania. Um, it's the nearest place that you can get all this stuff. In New York, you know, we have a law that allowed sparklers and cone fountains and more novelty items that, you know, could go off, but uh, not the full-blown uh, fireworks. And, of course, Westchester County didn't go along with that. So, I mean, none of this is allowed. I did bump into the mayor Sunday at the Neuro Eats on Division Street, yeah. where they closed off Division Street and set up some tables and chairs yeah. and were serving people. And I asked him about it, and he told me he got complaints about it and that he was going to meet with the city manager Monday, which I'm told did happen, and they would put out some kind of robocall, which they did today, reminding people that it's illegal and what to do, and might as well repeat it here, that what you should do if you have a concern is that you call the non-emergency number of the New Rochelle Police Department, which is 914-654. Help me out. Is it 2300? I believe that's right. I hope it's right. Double check me on that. Don't call somebody else <laughs> with your complaints, <laughs> but call the non-emergency. Yeah, call the non-emergency number. At the very least, you know, um, what'll happen is if the, if the complaints are made and you provide the location, they could at least identify where the greatest concentration uh, of these fireworks going off are, and then if they wanted to do something about it, they could stage some officers in the area and, and have a quicker response. But, you know, I'm one of these people who do like fireworks. I don't like spending money, so I don't like spending money on fireworks, but I certainly <laughs> like to li listen to them. I certainly like to look at them. I think that, you know, if these were going off from 9 to 11, I don't think many people would mind, but it's when they're going off at 2 and 3 and 2 in the morning that people mind. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm glad that you broke problem. the mold. I do feel. I, I'm glad that you spoke. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you covered my. Uh, you totally destroyed my my stereotype because you've read more books than a librarian and 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 care about those things. So good for you. <laughs> uh, I want to move oh, on. They're 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 fun, but let's leave it to the professionals. The city council has asked Cuomo to appoint Tish James to Kamal Flowers incident. What do you know about that? Yeah, so uh, last Thursday, all the members of the council signed a letter and sent it to the governor asking him to appoint Tish James so that um, the people of New Rochelle could have confidence in the outcome. I don't know what that means for Anthony Scarpino, the DA, because he's handling the investigation now. But um, in response, um, the delegation from New York uh, for the state Senate and state assembly, Amy Paulin and uh, Andrew Stewart-Cousins and Steve Otis and uh, uh, Shelley Myers all signed an additional letter seconding what uh, had been said by all the all seven of the members of city council. Um, and uh, there's, there seems to be somewhat unanimity on that, except among the New Rochelle PBA, which issued a, a statement uh, very upset about that uh, happening. Uh, I would expect that when you have every elected official in, the, in New Rochelle, asking for it, uh, it's hard to imagine that. And, and my understanding is Tish James is perfectly willing to do it. Um, I talked to one lawyer who's been in touch with her. Um, she just needs Cuomo to green light it, and I expect that uh, she will. I think the PBA is wrong um, because I think that uh, whatever you think about what happened, and obviously people have very strong views, the family and uh, a lot of other people are demanding that Tish James do the investigation. Well, 
to me, that's better because, you know, she may find that uh, the cop did something wrong. Um, but so, so could Scarpino. Okay. But if she finds that he did nothing wrong and the family was asking specifically for her and their lawyer and the NAACP and the city council and all the state reps, and she comes back and says that, uh, you know, uh, she's not going to take any action on the case. Uh, it kind of ends the matter, right? And that's really what you want. If you're in a leadership position, you want to satisfy everybody as much as you can. Some people, of course, will never be satisfied, but for the vast majority of people, um, you know, you, you want to put this to rest if you can, um, in, in terms of at least that there was a, a fair investigation. And, um, you know, in this day and age, um, having somebody who's at the state level, um, is helpful, but also she's a black woman. So she would be more understanding and sympathetic to the concerns of the family probably. Um, so I think it's the smart thing to do. I don't have an opinion as to where it's going to come out, but um, as you know from my reporting, I think that there's a lot of questions about this whole story that have yet to be answered. Um, I, I know there are because I'm the one asking them. I've been foiling and sending in questions, you know, and, and checking up uh, every day. Uh, and I've gotten more information out. And, you know, what I can tell you is, is that the original story has changed. There's some flaws with the stories that we got. Doesn't mean anybody did anything good or bad. It's just that there's a lot more to know about what happened here. And uh, I'm going to do my best to bring all that information out. And that includes uh, FOIL requests upstate, uh, throughout the county, in Mount Vernon, New Rochelle, getting video, getting audio. I did get some transcripts I asked for, uh, published those. So, I think the most important thing is we we get all the information that's available out there for the public to see, and I think we get somebody who isn't local uh, to handle the investigation. And I would never trust the DA's office to do anything anyway. I don't have any confidence in the DA's office. They're way too political. The guy's in the primary today, okay? So and he's up for election in in November. I, I don't I, I don't really like that. It's just too local for me, and, and too many politics involved. So I, I would. I think it was the right move to ask um, for Cuomo to appoint Tish James, and I expect that will happen. That does make a lot of sense. I, I have to agree with you in this instance. Um, now, I do have a, something I wanted to ask you about. And, and, and again, it's almost a thought experiment. One of the things I worry about, uh, and, and I'm going to zeitgeist here, there's always been this zeitgeist, rightly or wrongly, that uh, a person with a good lawyer – uh, can get off the hook, uh, whether it's, uh, well, you have something like O.J. Simpson, which is the extreme, but throughout history, we've got people, whether it was Durst earlier on, who, or even just a common criminal in the street who gets out on a technicality, and that's the law, and we all respect it. In this, in this environment, can a police officer accept or, or expect that same kind of dispassion and a result, I'm beginning to think that we're going to start making police officers guilty before they're tried, and that's not fair either. Just your reaction to that. Well, I mean, that's a pretty broad sweep, and I was really just talking about this one particular case in New Rochelle, but, um, you know, I think you have to look at the history, and history is that cops usually do not get convicted uh, in these kinds of cases. And, you know, I mean, look at obviously Rodney King, uh, to go back to a seminal event in this country's history. 
A lot of people I know are watching a documentary called LA 92 on Netflix right now and um, talking to a lot of people who are, you know, let's say in their thirties and younger had no idea about Rodney King, no idea about the officers and their trial in Simi Valley and the riots and all that kind of, no idea, no clue. Um, so, uh, you know, I would say we've been here before cops usually uh, get off. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say whether that's correct or incorrect. It's just a fact that they usually, if they're charged, it's yes. not, not very common that they're actually convicted. And I won't be surprised if they don't get convicted, uh, uh, in Minnesota, uh, in the George Floyd case. Um, even though that may shock people to hear that because you saw the video, but, but from what I read, uh, the, the officers involved were actually following the Minneapolis police procedure. Okay. And so how can you end up indicting them if they were following the rules that were given to them? Although as horrible as watching that video is, and of course as horrible as the outcome was, you get into a legal case. And then you had the case down recently in Atlanta with the guy who got shot at the Wendy's. Um, you know, they, they, the DA charged, uh, the cops, uh, before they even completed an investigation, which, that strikes me as definitely political. So, um, you know, some people who are younger ask me, do you think all this is going to change everything and whatever? And I would just say, I, I hate to tell people this, especially younger people, is it never has before. <laughs> okay. I, mean, I actually, we, we've had, I actually have some hope. I actually do have some hope, Robert, that, that the way police apprehend when someone resists arrest I think there has to be an opportunity to change that. Clearly, there must be some way to take down someone who's resisting arrest and not do the kinds of violent things that we've seen. There must well, be. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. care if I it's just... a big rubber suit or, 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 or a giant handcuff. Something. Well, I'll just tell you Eric Garner. I'll tell you, uh, yes. you know, Michael Ground, Tavon Martin. I yes, I know about well, what the response in Ferguson with the riots with Freddie Gray in Baltimore, uh, going all the way back to 92. You can go back to the Watts riots in 65. You can go back much further than that. Um, and I just, there's a, you know, certain, um, optimism, um, among people. But I just just looking at the reality, which is, well, listen, some things have already changed that I think are good. OK, um, even before uh, uh, George Floyd, but in response to the protests. So a big one for me was they repealed 50A in New York State, which meant that you couldn't get access to uh, police officers disciplinary records. Right. Okay, so changed. it. And we don't get disciplinary records for every public employee. You can't get it for teachers and you can't get it for a lot of people, civil servants, whatever, people work in offices. But, you know, when you're a sworn officer of the law and you have the authority to you know, you know, carry a gun and, and shoot people, you know, you should be uh, under more scrutiny. And, uh, you know, the, I know the unions aren't a big fan of it, but I'm, I, I will tell you, Bob, I, 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 I know I was one of the first people to make a FOIL request uh, once 50A was repealed. Because mm-hmm. I had I had one ready and waiting, and as soon as Cuomo signed the law repealing uh, 50A, I sent in my FOIL request for all the disciplinary records for Alec McKenna, um, and I'm you know told I'm going to get that at some point. I'm waiting, 
Uh, we'll see what it has to say. I'm told that there's certain things that have to be redacted in my FOIA request. I don't know if that's one of them, but, you know, I'm going to put it out there. I'm also trying to get the name of the second officer to find out what his background was. Um, you know, uh, I think that those are some good things, but uh, I just don't know about the people's hearts and minds because I go on social media. I see how people are responding to some of the stuff I've published, and it's pretty nasty. It, it, it is, and it, and it troubles me greatly. And, and a distinction, and I'm not making this for or against either case, but going back to my Nathan Bedford Forrest Robert E. Lee analogy, which is that there are degrees. Well, well I think we're going to see change, and, and God rest uh, the, the the poor man who had a knee on his neck for nine minutes. I challenge people to sit at a desk or a table uh, right now and 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 see how long nine minutes is. I think that that is a game changer. For example, again, not neither for or against. If we go back to what happened in in, um, in the St. Louis suburb, when that guy, that that particular guy they were they were dealing with, leaped in the officer's car, if that is to be believed. Now we can say that the officer behaved extremely; he shouldn't have done it. Blah 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 blah. But one could at least understand his reaction, timid or not. But what no one can understand is how you could stay on a man's neck for nine minutes, almost nine minutes, while people are begging you uh, to please let him go, let him up. You got handcuffs on him. Please, he's dying. I think that's a game changer. I think that there's that is just so intolerable and so clear cut that I think that that, that as Rodney King was, by the way, but just the man died. <clears throat> I, I I honestly think we're going to see some good change, but I also am concerned that it'll go so far. Uh, we need to realize that even police officers need a fair trial. We need to stick to our, uh, our principles on that. I well, uh, let me uh, let me jump in because I want to mention I run these little Twitter surveys, and so one thing that I ran was should all New Rochelle police officers on patrol be required to wear body cameras? Something I've supported for a long time. Um, I say and, yes. And, and mostly because I believe it's the benefit of the officers who almost in all cases will be shown to have acted correctly, at least in my experience, um, but also identify problems. But uh, the, the survey results was 91% yes. And um, so I think that this is going to happen. The mayor has talked about, oh, the mayor has been talking about it for five years and never got anything done. Um, the complaint has always been we don't have the money for it. They're expensive, blah, 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 blah. I think people would be willing to pay more taxes to have body cameras on every officer. Uh, and I think that's a change that's going to occur. Um, I did ask about defunding the police department, the Rochelle Police Department. Oh, I need you to talk about that. Please do. Well, in, in my survey, uh, 65% no, 35% yes. So people didn't support that. Uh, um, and then... The other one I asked about was the Tish James thing, which you asked me about already, and that came out to be 67% no. So at least in terms of an informal for, for non-scientific Twitter survey, those were the numbers. But I think the one that jumped out at me was the, the body cams. I expect that the issue of the budget is going to be pushed aside, and I think we'll get body cams uh, in place by the – well, the money at least approved uh, by the end of the year. Just so folks know, they did actually test body cams. They had a few, I think four, in service for a while to try it out. And then, of course, there's another issue which people don't think about when you've got people like me, right, which is 
What if I foil for the body cam video for some police interaction with your loved one when they're drunk or high or something happened in your home and they came in to intervene because somebody, you know, got involved in some domestic altercation? Are you okay with Bob Cox publishing that video on Talk of the Sound? Because that's another part of this. That's going to happen. Well, that needs to be, well, wow, that needs to be thought through clearly. Uh, and we need to see what rights may be violated in doing that. If there are no rights violated and that needs to be published, then it needs to be published. But I think we need to adhere to what the right to privacy may apply and what rules and laws in that, in that regard. Bob, I want to explain something to the audience while we're at it. We are uh, talking with Bob Cox. This is an hour with Bob Cox here on Radio Westchester. Now, you're listening live. And we did start a little bit late because of the technical glitch we had. So we're going to go another 10 minutes because what we do, folks, is this becomes a podcast after a live broadcast. So uh, we will go to 1210, and then the Bob and Vince show will uh, take place about 1215. And, and now you're going to need to cut that part out. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's part of editing. But I don't know, but it's live, and that's the nature of what we do, live and podcast. Bob, I was looking at one of your notes, and then I had a couple of questions for you about Bethesda. Where are you going? Yeah. I didn't well, I wrote about this back uh, over the winter that um, the school district had uh, was working on a deal to move the alternative high school from St. Gabe's over by the hospital to uh, Bethesda's Family Life Center uh, over on Lincoln Avenue. And uh, I was contacted by the people who work at the alternative high school. They're very unhappy about this. And uh, they made their case uh, to me, and I wrote about it. Um, I also pulled up uh, record, building department records, to take a look at what exactly the facility looked like. And I think it's safe to say that the um, idea of moving the Alternative High School from St. Gabe's, <clears throat> which is a school, right, uh, to the Family Life Center, which is um, a bunch of meeting rooms um, and, a, and a banquet center, uh, it's just absurd on its face. It, it's totally inappropriate location. Um, and uh, the, the genesis of it is really uh, a deal that's been cooked up by David Peters, who's a deacon at Bethesda Church and is also the founder of the New Rochelle Against Racism group and a leading member of the collective and part of the litigation against Fehu and the opposition to her. Uh, and I, I think what you're seeing here uh, is uh, this is uh, – pretty naked uh, use of taxpayer funds to buy off opposition of Fehu and of, of Amy Moselli for supporting her, the board president. And um, I was happy to see the Journal News wrote an article yesterday, which basically, um, I would say, um, summarized uh, the points I had made back in, in February. Uh, but they had the added benefit of adding in some quotes. Um, there's supposed to be a vote on it tonight at the school board meeting, which is unusual because the board has never actually discussed this matter at all. And typically they don't just vote, but I think they're trying to hurry the vote along because the two new board members, uh, Adina and Katie, who I'll refer to them, um, have already stated that they are opposed to that. And I think there's some other board members who are already opposed. So they're trying to jam this thing through uh, before July 1. Uh, so that they can try to get it passed. Now, they did a tour yesterday. I went over there. I shot a little video of the board members walking around inside the building. I don't really know uh, where 
the vote count stands. Um, I guess we'll find out tonight, but, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's embarrassing to see, uh, what's going on here, which is that, uh, the, the, the school district is using taxpayer money to give it to David Peters, who's a friend of Amy Moselli's, um, to basically salvage for the Bethesda church what has been, if I can use the phrase, a white elephant, this banquet center they built about 20 years ago that nobody really uses because they have no parking, which they were warned about when they even built it. But now they're going to get paid, you know, $12,000 a month, apparently. Uh, I've yet to see the lease uh, for this unused space. And in addition, the district is going to have to put up money of some kind um, to make it uh, to code. Um, I just think the whole thing is uh, disgusting, but um, the kind of thing that we're going to get now that the voters have said they're fine with the direction that the school district is going. And I think you'll see more and more diversion of taxpayer money into these kinds of things. And I think it's very similar to what happened with the school district flowing money into the housing authority and to Westcop. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so this is the, this is the trend. And, um, you know, a lot of people have observed to me recently that uh, with the way the overall voting is going in our area, that Westchester County is really becoming the sixth borough. And my answer is, and well, if that's true, then you're going to get a New York City quality of education. And I think you're already seeing that because, um, you know, we've seen a decline in performance, but you've also seen an exodus of people. So we've had uh black flight uh not black flight out of new rochelle but black flight people who live here but are pulling their kids the black families system. pulling the kids out of the school system We've documented that before and then a venn diagram would overlap a bit with the population at albert leonard because some of those students are black but um the kids from uh, the families from albert leonard pulling their kids out they don't want their kids going on to the high school so that's my concern as to the direction that we're going but you know what bob the average person doesn't spend their time trying to raise Thank money, you. design campaigns, educate voters, tell them what the problems are. They just move. They either move by moving their kids out of the public schools or they move by just buying a house in another town. And that's something you're seeing. And I think that we're on a, a, a path towards, um, you know, a very, um, you know, uh, problematic uh unsuccessful a school district uh it, it certainly would appear so bob what for for people who may not know what what is the alternative school use for what is its purpose so that's like uh it's like around 80 kids who have been determined by the school district that they would benefit from being in a smaller environment obviously new rochelle high school is huge 3400 kids and this is about 80 kids who they wanted to move into a smaller environment for a variety of reasons, but they would have to do with sort of disciplinary issues. They might have to do with academic issues. They might have to do with certain, you know, learning issues that they have, whatever the reason. And I don't know how they make the decision on individual kid, um, but there's about 80 of them. Uh, there's usually a bunch of kids who want to go or their families want them to go, but they don't get to go because they don't have, they're, they're, they're not able to handle everybody that wants to go. Um but if you, this is really the issue, which is if you've got kids who are already struggling, you know, is it a good idea to put them into cramped quarters where there's no 
area for them to be outside or doing. People don't realize this, but the kids at the alternative high school are the only students in the entire school district who are not allowed to go outside at all during the day. Once they go in the building at 8 or 8.30 in the morning, they're there till 3 o'clock. They don't go out for gym class. They don't go out for a lunch break. There's no recess. It's high school. Um, you know, I don't know what about three periods, but they're never allowed outside the building. Um, so I, I think that these kids are already kids that are not taken care of properly uh, by the district to begin with. Um, and then there's another issue, and I'm going to be writing a story later today. I just, in fact, was, um, you know, collecting some information before the show. Um, that in the article that appeared in the Journal News, um, Dr. Fahu, the superintendent, said that um, for, for things like phys ed class, they're going to be able to use the Boys and Girls Club at Remington, and they're going to be able to use Lincoln Park, and they won't be uh, at uh, – Bethesda very long because they're going to move it over into, uh, the current, you know, city hall for the, for the city government because the city government is going to be moving out of that location. Well, the problem with that is, is that uh, none of that has been broached or discussed or, or anything. Um, the Boys and Girls Club actually is, uh, in kind of a war with Bethesda because of something that happened a few years ago. They don't get along at all. I don't see the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, bending over backwards to try to accommodate David Peters, who just not, not long ago uh, forced the district to remove a program uh, from the Boys and Girls Club sponsored by the school district by accusing them of being racist for running the program. So I don't think there's a lot of uh, – Not a lot of love lost there. No, there. And then I I, I asked the, 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 the city uh, back in February, and I confirmed it again uh, today, that nobody from the school district has ever approached – the city about uh, using Lincoln Park, which they're not inclined to do because the public uses Lincoln Park. It's not they're not going to just turn it over to the school district during the middle of the day. And also at the end of the day, the Boys and Girls Club is owned by the city. Uh, so they would also have to have a say in that. And nobody's had a discussion with them about that either. On top of that, as your listeners may know, the Boys and Girls Club is being developed. That property is being developed to have housing plus the Boys and Girls Club and so that entire area over there off Prince Street is going to be turned into a construction zone uh, at some point in 2021 based on the current plans, whether that's, you know, early 2021 or late 21. Uh, they're not going to have access to that area at all, and they're not going to have access or they have not gotten access to Lincoln Park. And the city, I checked with them, they're looking at the possibility. Let me see because I got a, a text here, and I want to just double check and make sure I got right. it right here. Um so City Hall uh, might move in 2024. So might move, okay, depending on a bunch of other things happening with development and things like that. So uh, that's four years minimum. So they're going to be at Bethesda. If they move to Bethesda, if the board votes tonight to move it to Bethesda, they will be there for a minimum of four years. And they are not going to have access to the Boys and Girls Club at all because whether they start in January of 2021 or December, it's not going to be available to them in, after 2021 because it's going to be getting torn down. And uh, they, they haven't had any conversations about using the park, but I don't think the park's people are really inclined to turn over their facilities to the school district. So, especially, I mean, you know, there's families that are out there with their kids and stuff. There's playgrounds. And so I... I don't, I don't know what she's talking about, but um, 
you know, Fehu has not had these discussions, and yet she's quoted in the Journal News uh, saying, talking about these things like they're a, a fait accompli, which they're not. That's it for today's episode. We put a link to the story in the show notes in the podcast. You can always check there for links mentioned in the show and any other tidbits from the episode. Remember, you can subscribe to the Talking Sound podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and with any of your favorite podcast apps via RSS. Complete details on talkofthesound.com under podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Talk of the Sound, on our Talk of the Sound Facebook page, or visit our website at talkofthesound.com, where you can bookmark our homepage or register for our daily email blast. Thanks for listening.